every detail. Father, you bring us uh, peace and strength and wisdom. Uh, Father, you continue to work your purposes and your plans in and through our life, Father God, that we uh, would glorify you in all that we say and do in this life. We thank you, Father, as we open your word, Father, that your spirit will help us to see principles that secure our salvation, that help us to see uh, all that you have done for us, to see your glory, um, to see all of the, the purposes and the plans that you have to bring this earth um, all the way through, Father, to perfection in your millennial kingdom. And we thank you, Father God, for uh, your peace in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so uh, Revelation chapter 18, um, we finished with uh, the chapter 17 was our last lesson. Of course, that comes just before 18. It's pretty good, huh? So, um, but in 17, we were talking about uh, the harlot of Babylon and the judgment that came upon her. And as we looked at that, we saw that uh, the establishment of worldwide religion, and even though uh, Revelation 17 comes at this position in the book, it really was revealing something that began uh, at the beginning of the tribulation time, that is the setting up of this one world religion uh, under this one called the harlot. And it was a religion uh, that demanded that everyone uh, worship according to uh, her purposes, uh, that uh, doesn't reveal what God it was that they worshiped. It certainly wasn't our God, it wasn't the true God, the only God. Uh, it was filled with perversity, uh, sexual uh, deviation, all manners of evil, idolatry, uh, unbelievable things that uh, this religion got into. And ultimately, that religion was judged. And who remembers who judged uh, her religion? Of course, God was behind it, but who did? The Antichrist and the kings, the ten kings. And so it was a, he used her and this religion to draw all men into this one purpose, and then he destroyed it at the middle of the tribulation and announced that he alone was God. That's the abomination of desolations. Uh, that's when he took his position in the holy place and demanded that everyone worship him. Didn't matter that he was the one who had empowered the harlot, uh, that had used that world religion for his purposes for the first three and a half years. Now he's done with it, and now everything comes to him. And so that really brings us to this place in Revelation 18. And uh, again, just like 17, not everything in Revelation 7, or 18 is a chronological um, following. It's, it's a summation of things that are going to take place, but especially in the very end, 
months, weeks, days of the tribulation. Uh, that this judgment that is going to fall is going to fall heavily, severely. And when we move from chapter 18 in a couple weeks, next week we'll finish this, this chapter, we'll do the first half today. And when we move to chapter 17, that's basically, it's done. And God is done with all of the evil upon the earth. And this brings forth the second coming in chapter 17, or in chapter 19, I mean. Um, and then the establishment of his millennial kingdom in chapter 20. Um, then the millennial kingdom comes to an end. Then the great white throne judgment uh, at the end of chapter 20. And then in 21 and 22, the new heaven and the new earth. And so it's just a rapid progression, although rapid again is a relative term because there's a thousand year millennial reign in the middle of this, of this rapid uh, advance toward the end. But it's summed up in, it's almost like one thing right after another. And in fact, in the book of Revelation, the millennial kingdom only gets a few verses. We'll go back and find some things uh, from the Old Testament that will tell us a little bit more about the millennium. Uh, but for the most part, uh, that's not the concern of uh, John and the revelation that God has given him. So let's go to Revelation 18. And we'll look at this. I'm going to read the first eight verses. That's as far as we're going to go tonight. Uh, these first eight verses. Uh, and again, as you'll, as you'll see there, I have uh, indented some of this because when you look at this in a printed Bible, uh, most of the modern translations, even the New King James and others, um, indent this because it's poetic language. And it's possibly, in fact, probably, it's a hymn songs that are presented here. And these are, you're going to say, these are the strangest songs I think we've ever heard, but they are songs of doom. And this is not the only place we could find these. They're in the Old Testament. Again, some things we'll talk about. So let's read Revelation 18. Uh, I'm going to read down through verse 8, although it says 3. Uh, so... My computer again types the wrong things. I don't know what is wrong with it. All right. Revelation 18, verse 1. After all of this, that's after the things that he saw in chapter 17, the final destruction of the harlot, um, the destruction of that religion, everything brought under the authority now of the Antichrist. You will worship him or you will die. In fact, that was her worship also. You worshiped her or you died. Well, now it's this. And so now after all of this, I saw another angel come down from heaven with great authority, and the earth grew bright with his splendor. And he gave a mighty shout, Babylon is fallen. In most translations, the word is repeated. Fallen, fallen is Babylon. The great city is fallen. She has become a home for demons. She is a hideout for every foul spirit, 
a hideout for every foul vulture and every foul and dreadful animal. For all the nations have fallen because of the wine of her passionate immorality. The kings of the world have committed adultery with her. And because of her desires for extravagant luxury, the merchants of the world have grown rich. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sin, lest you share in her plagues. For his sins are heaped high as the heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back as she herself has paid back others, and repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion for her in the cup she mixed. As she glorified herself and lived in luxury, so give her a like measure of torment and mourning, since in her heart, she says, I sit as a queen. I am no widow, and mourning I shall never see. Verse 8, for this reason, her plagues will come in a single day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire. For mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. All right. It's a pretty exciting time, huh? Whew. That just, doesn't that just make you want to get up and run around? No, not really. But these are things that God wants us to know. And it, again, remember all the way back to the beginning. In fact, it's in Revelation chapter 1 and it's in Revelation chapter 22. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy. And keeps these words. So this is important for the church. Yet, as I've said so many times, most churches, most denominations totally ignore teaching on the end times. They never teach from the book of Revelation unless there's a in verse that they want to somehow bring out and usually it's misapplied. But it's important that we understand that Revelation is not a optional book that God put at the end to get everybody confused. It's not. It is a confusing book. It takes a lot. We've been, what, 59 lessons uh, looking at this. And I, I'm not saying I have the absolute authority with everything I've taught, but I have done my best to measure things, to balance scripture with scripture, to look at Old Testament passages, whether I minister those to you or not, or teach you from those, I want to understand them so that I know that what I'm saying is balanced. And so I've done the best I can of presenting, but numerous times in here, this says this is mysterious. In fact, in our last session in chapter 17, one of the great things is says mystery Babylon. And it's just like two words. It's a two word sentence. It's just mystery Babylon. And so God says it's a mystery. And there's so much of this that we will not understand, cannot understand until time advances. So we can 
as people have in the past. We can cast this nation is this, or this person is this, or this situation is this, and then historically we're past it. And so things that people have said that was going to be it, it wasn't it. And so we keep passing these things because until some of these other things happen, we cannot fully identify all of the persons and all the situations uh, that are here uh, in this book. So uh, as we continue, we look at this passage and we see that it's important for us to balance. Now, as I say in my notes, there is nowhere in Scripture is there a more complete description of the judgment that is coming than in this chapter. Um, the next chapter is more severe judgment, but it's not as descriptive as this. And these passages, starting in chapter 6 with the uh, the seals and then the trumpets and then the bowls, all those things that followed. Yes, there was a lot of judgment that was being poured out, but it is nothing compared to the judgment that's going to come right at the end, the judgment upon mankind and the judgment here in this chapter of Antichrist's kingdom, his empire, which lasted for how long? Uh, just three years, or seven years, I'm sorry, just for seven years. That's, that's it. That's out of all of time since the creation, all that Antichrist gets is seven years. And in the midst of all those seven years, God is behind the scenes bringing judgment after judgment after judgment, and there's nothing Antichrist can do to stop it. Oh, he can oppress mankind, and he can oppress the world, and he can do all those kinds of things, but it is, it is God who is bringing judgment after judgment upon the earth, purging, as I've used this phrase before, purging the earth so it will be prepared for the millennium. Because God has to remove all of the evil that is on the earth so that when Christ comes and sets up his kingdom, it is an altogether different earth for those thousand years. And then when it comes to the new heaven and the new earth, that's altogether different. And so we're going to see some glorious things take place. But the devil doesn't get that much time. Remember, Antichrist is just the devil's representative on the earth. He doesn't get that much time. And so all of this comes down and these things are set up for his earthly kingdom. But God brings forth the judgment. It's a verse that's going to uh, come up later, but I, I make this statement about toward the bottom of the page. Compared to the glorious eternal majesty of our omnipotent God, and all of man's self-built empires are a drop from a bucket. That's a phrase that we're going to find later next week. They are, man's kingdoms are a drop from a bucket. That's it. That's all. All of the kingdoms of man, 
all the authorities that man has tried to establish, all the things that man has tried to do, all the great leaders and the great commanders and the great generals and all those things. I just started watching a series recently. It's just called The Great Commanders. And it's, you know, all the way down through history, different ones bringing up these, these different things. You say, that's, that's what you watch on TV? Historical documentaries? Yeah. Love it. All right. Sorry. Call me a nerd, do what you want to do, it's entertaining. All right, so, but um, these great kingdoms, they're really nothing. Genghis Khan had one of the greatest kingdoms that ever existed. From China all the way to Eastern Russia or Western Russia. But it's gone. And these kingdoms come and go. And so all of these things are just, what, a drop of the bucket. So here's a quotation from Isaiah 40. Beautiful passage of Scripture, Isaiah 40. Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as dust on the scales. Behold, and I put in for God, takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Scripture says he, but it's a reference to God. Behold, God takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Notice that phrase. I like that phrase, accounted as dust on the scales. I do, I like to do baking. And a lot of times instead of using measure, I use weight. And so I measure mostly in kilograms and, and uh, measuring out. But I never, on my scales, I never blow the dust off. Any of you ever use scales? The dust is on there. And the, these nations, they're like the dust on the scales. They, they don't even weigh. They don't even count. And so man's, everything that man thinks he's doing is gone. And man's greatest achievements. And here, in this chapter, Babylon is Antichrist's greatest achievement. And it's gone. It's just a drop from a bucket. And then a quotation we've used many times, Acts chapter 17, but God has fixed a day. Yeah, the nations think they're ruling, but God has fixed a day. I, I just love that phrase. God has fixed a day. God knows that day. It's established. It's set. You can... Bank on it, whether you're going to be here or not. <laughs> but God has fixed a day when he will judge all of the earth. When he will judge all the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed. Who's that man? Jesus Christ. And so there is a day that God has fixed. It's established. It's set. It's coming. God has tolerated man's rebellion and his wickedness and his attempts at righteousness and his attempts at doing good and, and all those things. But even the best of men fail. We can't live up to the things that God has intended. No man has ever been established to rule on this earth except the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he comes, it will be severe at his coming. 
but then he will establish a kingdom of peace. The bottom of the page, I, I put a little chart there, the, the two Babylons of Revelation, chapter 17 and 18. So these two Babylons, in chapter 17, it was the harlot of Babylon, the religious Babylon of the great harlot. Chapter 18, it's a political commercial Babylon of the Antichrist. It's his kingdom. It's his empire. So the religious Babylon rules for three and a half years, and then the beast, Antichrist, and the ten kings do away with her, establish another thing, and then Antichrist rules not only all the religion, but also all of the commerce and all of the politics. Revelation 17, the harlot is Babylon as a worldwide religion. Chapter 18, it is Babylon as a city or nation. Revelation 17, Babylon falls at the beginning of the Great Tribulation. That's at the middle, the three and a half years. In Revelation 18, the political, commercial Babylon, the kingdom of Antichrist falls at the end of the seven years of tribulation. The religious Babylon is destroyed by the beast and the ten kings. The political Babylon, the empire of the Antichrist, is destroyed by Jesus at his second coming. In Revelation 17, when the woman was, the harlot was judged and destroyed, no one mourned. They just stood there and looked. In chapter 18, all of re unrepentant humanity will mourn. So all of this mourning will take place, which most of it we will see uh, next week in our second part. So page two. So this chapter 17 begins with this angelic proclamation. And uh, then it goes to another voice later in the chapter. So the first, the angelic proclamation, um, despite God's repeated warnings, 144,000 witnesses, the two great witnesses, a great eagle flying through the sky, an angel proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ to the earth, there have been millions of people saved during this seven-year period of the tribulation. But despite all of that, there's nothing people can do to stop what's going to happen. And people of the world continue to refuse to repent. Time after time, we've seen this with the seals, with the trumpets, with the vials. There seems like there's an opportunity. People could repent, but then what does it say? And they did not permit, repent, or they would not repent, and they would not change. They, they mourn the destruction of the Antichrist's kingdom, but they won't mourn their own sin and need for God. There is no heart of repentance within. So Revelation 18.1 says, After this I saw another angel come down from heaven with great authority, and the earth grew bright with his splendor. 
So from chapter 17, the end of that chapter, John is suddenly brought to another place after that. And this vision that he's going to have here seems to take place from the perspective of the earth. Even though many of the things are coming out of heaven, it is from the perspective of someone on the earth seeing these things happen. So this is again that transition that takes place in John's writings. Sometimes he sees things from the heavenly perspective looking upon the earth. Other times he's in a sense on the earth seeing what is happening. And so these differing visions uh, that he has during this time and different aspects of the way that he sees these. And so this one comes uh, from that perspective and he begins, well, this is the beginning of the end, as I said in there. This, this is leading everything to the end. It's the beginning of the end of Antichrist's reign. It's the beginning of the end of mankind's opportunity to repent. We're coming to a place where there will be no more opportunity to repent. And so this is the end of God's opportunity that he's given it in the sense it is the end of God's merciful long-suffering. Remember long-suffering? Macrothumia, a long time to rage. Well, long time doesn't mean forever. And so right now we are seeing God's long-suffering and First Peter or Second Peter chapter 3 tells us why is God long-suffering at this present time? Not willing that what? Any should perish. He's given man an opportunity. Even in the times of this judgment, again, the, the witnesses, the two great witnesses, the, the angel flying through the air um, like a great eagle pronouncing this gospel, um, people rising up, I'm sure, witnessing one to another, the martyrs, all of those. Millions saved, but not everyone. And so all of this judgment is falling. And so then it says, so I saw another angel. After the judgment of the harlot, I saw another angel. And the word another means another, the same kind. Uh, there are some commentaries that say that this is Jesus Christ. And they get that because of the talks about the splendor uh, of his coming, of his being. But it can't be because it says another of the same kind, angel messenger, uh, another like the one that was before. However, there is some things different about this one. Why is different? Because God wanted him to be. That's, that's my answer. I, God, God wants this one to be different. He's given this great voice. Uh, he's given a splendor, a light that is upon him. Um, he speaks with a powerful voice and brings forth this uh, incredible judgment that is going to come. And so I saw this other angel. What's interesting is that in chapter 14, right, Revelation 14, and I know all of you remember this as we went through it, uh, Revelation 14 and verse 8, it says uh, the same phrase that we see at the beginning here, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. 
Some commentaries say this is probably the same angel that made that announcement. I don't know. Just because it's the same words, it could be, could not be. I don't know. All I know is this one is coming, and he's coming, as it says, with great authority. In other words, there is a, a greatness to the authority given to him. We've talked about that word great before. It can be translated loud, right? But what it means is something significant. It's the Greek word megas, from which we get mega, big, great, right? And so he speaks with this great voice, which means it's significant. It can't be ignored. It's something that, that draws everyone's attention. If it's a loud voice, if it's a great voice, um, it can be referred to voices, to things, to appearances, uh, to signs, to wonders. Uh, but all the time, anytime the word great is there, it means this is significant. It's something that that can't be ignored. And so he's going to speak with a voice that cannot be ignored. And it is a voice of authority. Uh, the Greek word authority, it comes from the root for the word freedom. And it means to speak freely and no one can constrain you. All right. So uh, authority is something that you're given that no one can take away from you. And so what this angel is doing, he's speaking with this significant voice, and no one can resist it. No one can do anything about it. You might think, well, you'd stop your ears. It will penetrate. Jen got, I think we were on our way to Hawaii when, when she tried these, a set of headphones that you don't really hear. It goes through the bones. Right? Anybody? See those? And so you can buy these headphones and they actually, they transmit the sound waves through the bones in your jaw. And, and you hear. And it's like, okay, that's weird. Uh, but the same thing here. You can't, you can't still this voice. There's no way people can hide from this. They could be insulated in a, quote, soundproof room. No, this, this will get there. Right? This is a voice of absolute authority. And who gave him this? He, he comes with this great authority. In other words, someone gave it to him. Who would that be? It would be God the Father. Right? And so God has sent this angel with this great authority that cannot be resisted, and it has to be heard. And so he speaks with this because... The earth needs to hear the significance of this angel's ministry and his mission. He has something to say. His message, his ministry, his mission is great. And you can't resist it. It will take place. All right? And what it says next, And the earth grew bright with his splendor. And again, this is where some people say, well, this has to be Jesus. No, this is a splendor that has been given to him. And uh, some translations say his glory. But there is a, a, a appearance that uh, is not, not like anything else. In other words, his splendor 
is uh, great. It's earth-wide. It will be something that even in the darkest of time, um, fires and smoke and destruction and all those other things that are going on on the earth, right? Still, this will shine out. And all the earth will be illumined by this glorious light that is upon him. Why? Because the world must know what he's about to say. The world must know what he's going to say. Words, he's come with a message to the entire earth. And he will speak and it will be to a worldwide audience. Just like Antichrist established himself through the false prophet, and the beast used the false prophet and established him so that all around the world uh, people had to bow to the Antichrist through the false prophet. God doesn't need a false prophet. He's going to send this angel, and it's not only is he going to speak, but it's going to be seen. So you think, well, that can't be because you can't be anywhere. I mean, the earth is a circle, and if he's one place, you know, then the other people on the other side can't see. God can take care of things like that, right? God is not moved by our physics. He is outside of those things. And so God will see to it that the entire earth sees and hears what this angel is about to say. And so the end of this passage says, and he gave a mighty shout. This is, again, a mighty, powerful voice uh, that is going to bring forth God's sovereign judgment. It can't be ignored. It can't be stopped. It cannot be changed. It can't be decreased. It can't be, uh, in, in, by any means, um, set aside. It's going to be heard. It's going to be seen. Because God wants all the earth to see what's going to happen. And so he's setting this up. Now, again, this isn't the second coming. This is just the judgment of Babylon, the great city, the great system. A lot of people, um, commentaries, <laughs> argue over, is Babylon a city? Is it a system? Is it just a government? Is it a worldwide philosophy, it's, it's all those things. Uh, Antichrist is going to rule the earth. Where he's going to rule from, at times it sounds like it's Jerusalem, at times it could be Rome, at times it sounds like it's Babylon. Where is it? Where is he ruling from? It's hard to tell because passages throughout mention different places. But the point is that his system is what is being judged. And the city is just a representation of the place where he rules, the place where he reigns. All right, so as he comes, uh, my next point is three tenses of Babylon's destruction. And so when we read through this passage, sometimes it's easy to follow a track because it's past tense, present tense, future tense, and 
for any of you who've taken a writing composition class or whatever, uh, and you keep changing tenses in the middle of a paragraph, um, yeah, you're going to get some red marks on your paper because it's, uh, no, you don't do that. Either you're going to write in the past tense or the present tense or the future. Don't keep changing. Uh, well, again, God doesn't obey our rules. And so when we look at this passage, what we're looking at, and again, um, I've done some of the uh, indenting, but if you see it in a printed Bible, uh, most of modern translations will have this uh, indented verses um, four, but second half of verse four through the end of verse eight, um, in a sense is a song. It's written in the Greek structure of poetry or song, and it's almost like this angel is delivering this song of doom. And so this is a powerful statement, but within his statements, and then the further voice that comes starting in verse 9, which we'll talk about next week, um, continues with this. But uh, notice the tenses. I've, I've put a little, some little marks there toward the bottom of your page too. Um, one scene declares that Babylon has already fallen, right? Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. Not, not was, is, meaning in the Greek language, it's, it's over, it's done, it's complete. All right? Fallen is Babylon the great. It's done, right? Well, but then the next time we see uh, in verse 4, it says, come out of her, which assumes that the city is still existing. So in verse 2 is fallen, but in verse 4, come out of her. All right? And then in verse 9, John describes the grief of the kings in a future tense. In verse 11, the grief of the merchants in a present tense. And in verse 18, the grief of the shipmasters in the past tense. And so within this paragraph or within this song, you move from past to present to past to future to past and back and forth throughout the passage. And the angel with the millstone who finally comes at the end uh, speaks of Babylon's fall as something yet in the future. It's like, okay, wait, did it, did it fall or did it not fall? Is it done? Is it over? Is it going on? What is happening? This is, this is God not obeying our rules of chronology because it's not about the chronology, it's about the reality. And that's what God is expressing, the reality. This, from, from right now, our perspective, this will happen. This will happen. And there will be these voices. And at one point, it will be happening. And then we'll be in a place where it has happened. Right? So the, the expression that God is giving us here is that this is to be seen as something that is a foregone conclusion. It will happen. And there will be a time when it's done. It hasn't happened yet. It will happen. It will have happened. And so that's the way that we have to look at this whole passage. So go to the top of your page three. Babylon 
is fallen. And so this is the declaration given in a sense of a past tense. It's over, it's done, it's complete. Babylon is fallen. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. Now the word haunt has to do uh, with a hiding place or a place of um, like a den, like an animal would find a den. And so this is what this is talking about. So this first clause of Babylon's destruction uh, has become a dwelling place for demons and a prison of every unclean spirit. So these, these spirits have been imprisoned there. Um, notice again, it says it is a, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for unclean birds. Um, this is, in a sense, a, a den. This is where they are confined. This is where they are brought to. And there will be a time when Babylon will be so luxurious as the, as the merchants and the seafarers are going to express later in the chapter, uh, when it was absolutely the epitome of luxury and wealth and abundance and extravagance. And then all of a sudden, it's fallen. And it's nothing but a place for demons and a place for these foul birds, which these birds that it's referring to are birds that eat carrion. They feast on things that are dead. And so those phrases are used over and over in the Old Testament to describe that type of thing. All right, so in, in this passage, in uh, Revelation chapter 9, under the sixth trumpet, all right, so when they sounded the sixth trumpet, there were 200 million demonic beings released. In chapter 9, verses 13 through 16, 200 million, if we take the, the numbers that he expressed, which probably means more than that, all right? And so 200 million demons released upon the earth. And these are, again, coming from the bottomless pit. And before that, in the first half of chapter 9, it's fallen angels coming out of the bottomless pit which have this power to sting. They have heads like horses and tails like scorpions and, and it's incredible, demonic, evil-looking things that are going across the earth and they sting mankind, but people can't die from the sting and they're in absolute agony, but they can't even die. And there's all of that going on. So with all of that, and then all of the devils that the Lord, or the fallen angels that Satan brought with him uh, when the Lord cast him out of heaven, all of that are now confined to Babylon. It's like God has moved all of them there. Where there is, is it the actual city of Babylon? Is it Rome? Is it some other city? Is that out in the desert? I don't know. It's just called Babylon, and Babylon is a system, all right? 
and it will be the place full of these unclean birds. Why are these unclean birds there? Because they eat flesh. These are the birds that feast on the dead and signifying that the city is filled with death so that all of these foul birds. Every time in the Old Testament, time and again, they talk about, about the wilderness and the place where the devil roams and all those kind of places. And they talk about it being a place of, sometimes it calls them ostriches, sometimes it calls them eagles, sometimes it calls them vultures. So when you see eagles, most of the time in the Old Testament, um, it's not always a representation of our bald eagle or a national symbol or even a golden eagle. Uh, sometimes it's a reference to what we would call a vulture, um, a, a huge carrion-eating bird. And God has a purpose for them to remove dead things from off the earth. But this is where they're going to congregate. All right, so all of this is going on. And then look at verse 3. This is Revelation 18 and verse 3, about the middle of the page. For all the nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. Again, this is expressing this from this religion of chapter 17 and now expressing this as being part of the whole system. Remember, Antichrist empowered the harlot. And so... Uh, all of this sexual immorality was to draw mankind into this because man follows these baser passions and finds his way into these things. And the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her. The merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. So this destruction uh, is going to be complete and it's because of the um, immorality, the uh, idolatry, um, the adultery, which is spoken of here, the kings of the earth uh, committing all of these acts, everything pulled in first by the woman's religion and now under obeyance to Antichrist. But don't put all of that back just on the harlot and the Antichrist. It's man, because it's man that's going to be judged. It's man that faces these judgments. And we could say, well, the devil made me do it. No, you followed your passions. And it is your passions that brought you there. And that's what we'll find in the very next statement. Come out of her. Come out of her. And so now comes another voice. And it says, and I heard another voice, uh, Revelation 18, 4, I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her. This voice is coming from heaven. So to me, this is the voice of God. And I'll again show you why, because of the next phrase. Come out of her, what's the next two words? My people. My people. Come out of her, my people. All right, so this is, God's people. These are believers. There they wouldn't be called my people. They are somehow the people that God is speaking to. Now, I want you to catch this, and I hope I don't get this confusing or make this confusing. This letter is being written to people 
in John's day. Is that right? So who is come out of her being written to? People in John's day. He's not talking about the people that are in Babylon when it's judged. It's talking to people before Babylon gets judged, before this comes. So we could say, because John wrote this to the church, everyone who reads and hears and keeps the words of this prophecy, Revelation chapter 1 and verse 3, blessed is the one who reads, hears, and keeps the words of this prophecy, right? Holds himself to, that's what the word keep means. What is it saying? Come out of them. Come out of her. Come out of this religion. Come out of this, this uh, security in the world's system. This attention that you're giving to things of the world. Come out of the immorality that is around that. Three of the churches that Jesus addresses in Revelation chapters 2 and 3. Three of those churches. He speaks of the immorality that is taking place in these churches. Stop it and come out of that. And so what God is speaking here is a word through John to the people who are reading this letter. And it doesn't matter if you're reading this letter in John's day, the end of the first century, or if you're reading it in the fourth century, when the church was wrestling over heresies and things that were trying to destroy the truth that is in the scriptures. It doesn't matter whether you're reading it at the end of the seventh century when Rome fell and suddenly everything that people had trusted in was gone. All the structure, all the world's order, everything was suddenly gone. No more Roman Empire. Can you imagine what would happen if all of a sudden the nation you were in, all the government just stopped and there's nothing? All government has just ended. Who rules? Who's going to rule? That's what happened in the time of the fall of the Roman Empire. Then we could move on to other things that I have listed there. There's so many different things that man puts his trust in. And down through history, we could find one thing after another. What about the great plagues that came in? What about the, the whole question of um, the, the invasion of the Mongols and Genghis Khan and all of those things coming in? The failure of banks and world systems the time of the Crusades, the rise of Islam. All things, every one of these things, that's just a symbol of man can't put his trust in things of this world. Our trust has to be in other things and mankind can get pulled into those. And we get pulled into the security of wealth or the security of our nation or the security of politics or the security of this. It's not about those things. Come out of that. Commit yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ. Commit yourself to the things that God has spoken. 
whether your government supports that or not. Because the important thing is what is God speaking? And so time and again, this reference is found. I'm not going to go through all these points, but I've listed them there, the bottom of page three and then on into page four. All these different times down through scripture that God has said, come out from the call of Abram all the way down to the dime of the church age. When Paul said, come out of that. Come out of that way of life. He's not talking about come out of a nation. He's not talking about come out of a city. He's saying, don't, don't put yourself in agreement with things that are of this world. Don't join yourself together with worldliness. Come out of that. And that's the message. Why? Because when we get caught up in that, we get enmeshed in it. And where are we going to be when the nation falls or when the banks fall or whatever? We're going to go down with it. And that's the warning that he's giving. We bring these things into our life. The next thing you know, we're caught up in those things and they become our way of life. That is not what God wants. Even in the final warning that Jesus gave uh, to, his, to his disciples on the, on the, uh, when he was up on the Mount of Olives and he delivered his message. It's in Matthew 24. It's in Luke chapter 17. It's there toward the top of your page four. Uh, what did Jesus say? When you see the abomination of desolations. When did that happen? Well, it happened back in about 300 before B.C., but it also happened here in the middle of the tribulation when Satan took his position in the temple, declared himself to be God, established that he alone was God and that everyone must worship him. When you see the abomination of desolation spoken by, by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Get out. Get out. Now, there was, in a sense, temporal or historic reference to this when the Roman army came and finally surrounded Jerusalem in the year 67 to 70, and the generals there began surrounding the city and began destroying the city in just 30, 40 years after Jesus, um, when all of that was taking place, um, many of the Christians realized this is not going well, and they left. And so Christians left Jerusalem and left that region and moved to other places. John himself moved at that period of time, um, moved to the city of Ephesus and ended his life there in the region around uh, Ephesus. So all of this uh, is Jesus' warning, get away from these things. Now, his true warning, that was a temporal on the earth warning. What's his other warning is what's going to happen in the tribulation. And again, it's not just about leaving a place. It is about moving away from things that are pulling you in so that you no longer can be a witness, and you may even become caught up, totally overwhelmed 
by those things. All right? Now, we come down, middle of your page four, we come down to the divine retribution. And these are, these are strange things that are in the scripture, songs that in a sense are a, a taunting or a mocking song of God's judgment of evil. You can find them in the Old Testament, the book of Psalms. You'll find them in the book of the prophets, or the books of the prophets. You find these, they're, all, they're songs of doom is what they're called. And so um, here's one. Verse 6, chapter 18, verse 6. Pay her back as she herself has paid back others and repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion for her in the cup she mixed. So this is God's directions to what is going to take place for the city of Babylon, for the empire, for the world system. Um, pay her back what she paid others. Here's a verse I was looking for. Um, it says God has remembered her sins. Where, where's that verse? I'm sorry. I lost it. Um, anyway. Plagues will come. She will be burned up with fire. Uh, not seeing it. How many know God has forgiven your past? Right? But when we receive Jesus Christ, all of our past, all of our sins are forgotten. Hers are to be remembered. Remember what she did. Remember her sins. God has remembered her sins. And what has this system done? She, again, speaking of this system as a she, she glorified herself and lived in luxury, so give her a like measure of torment and mourning. She said in her heart, I sit as a queen, I am no widow, and mourning I shall never see. Well, no, just for a few years, and then it's all going to come to an end. And so this is God remembering. This is a reference back to some statements that are in the book of Isaiah and the book of Ezekiel, where um, the, the arrogance of luxury, the arrogance of rulership has taken over these people's lives just like it has those who are caught up into this world system of the Antichrist. And the sin which they commit is there, it's mentioned in that one passage, uh, or in that one point, it's hubris. And hubris is a, one of the words for pride that's used in the New Testament. But hubris is where, in a sense, you stand above everything, you look down on everything else, every other person, and you, you're arrogantly, it's, it's a pride that's mean. It's a pride that is, is haughty. It's, it's not just, I'm proud of this, he's, you know, that, that pride that comes, which is mostly confusion. Uh, the Greek word has to do with smoke in the brains. But um, this, is, this is that arrogance that says, I'm better than everyone. And I'm better than God. I don't need God. I don't need religion. I don't need all those things. I'm, I'm complete in myself. And that's what this woman is saying. The quotation from Isaiah says the same thing about the daughters of Zion. 
Uh, Ezekiel says the same thing about the king of Tyre. And so this is that kind of, of arrogance that's going to come to an end in the very next verse. For this reason, her plagues will come in a single day. In other words, all of this, this entire fall is going to happen in a day. Why? Because we're only a few days from the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so by the time that this takes place, and the fall of Lucifer's kingdom, the Antichrist's kingdom, and all of those things he's established on the earth, and all the power that he has established, it's all going to fall in a day. Gone. And all these demons can consigned to Babylon, all locked up in that place until God's purpose that they be removed. It's all happened in a single day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire, for mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. This is a song that is being sung by this voice from heaven. And so this is a, a, a taunting, mocking, you will be destroyed. Say, well, it hasn't happened. I don't see it happening. It will. It will. And just like we can be assured of the Lord's coming for us, he's also going to purge this world of evil. And all of these things of mankind, all of the systems that man has established will be brought to an end so that the Lord can set up his kingdom upon the earth, the kingdom of a thousand years of peace, of, of wholeness, of restoration, of a glorious and beautiful earth where creation itself, in a sense, sings to God. I can't imagine that. We'll see it from heaven, but there'll be people living on the earth who will actually experience creation singing. And it'd be incredible. The millennium is full of just incredible images of what's going to take place in this thousand years when Jesus reigns on the earth. But before that happens, all of this has to be taken away. So, next week we'll finish up chapter 18. And then on to chapter 19 with the final judgments that come just before the coming of the Lord. All right, Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your word tonight. I thank you, Father, that you will use these things to encourage us, to um, give us hope that you are going to bring all things to right. You will establish your righteousness and your justice upon this earth. And mankind and all of his arrogance, his pride, self-proclaimed powers, Father, mankind cannot stop this, neither can Antichrist. Satan and all of his powers cannot stop what you are going to establish. You will bring forth your kingdom. And we thank you, Father God, for the peace that is ours. Again, we pray that you give us passion and you give us a heart to reach others that they might know you as Lord and Savior. 
come out of a world system and find true salvation through Jesus Christ. We praise you for it, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.